Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for once again another rewrite, aka a book. Another got, got book. Got book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what the marketing campaign looks like for that. Like we need something you, as iconic as the milk mustache. Like a book mustache? It, well, it was just black and white text, you know? But it was milk mustaches. Last week was not a particularly mm. joke heavy episode. We made up for the lack of quantity and the quality of got book. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Once we stuck the right. land in a got book, we took I think the rest our of the next episode sticker off. might end up being a got book sticker. Oh shit! <laughs> and to help us to continue on with these very helpful things, uh, Ian and Joe, two high school English teachers. Oh, my name's Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher. And Nick, if you're looking for a got book, otherwise known as like a book that is in direct conversation with another book or a book that's been rewritten yeah, or yeah. something like that. If you're looking for a got book, I've got a heck of a got book. I have read Stop Zadie Smith's, <laughs> Zadie God, Smith's on beauty, 2005, 500 pages long. For today's episode, I ain't read a book. I have read Howard's End though in the past and I have a, I also read a bunch of criticism of On Beauty. Not quite one-star reviews, but people talking about the book and critiquing it. So I'm excited to hear what Joe has to say. Joe? And it, Litheads, if you're wondering why Ian's talking about this other book called Howard's End, it's because On Beauty is a direct response or a direct riff or a direct play on homage. Uh, EM homage, homage, yeah, on an E.M. Forrester novel called Howard's End that was written, I don't know when, a while 1910s, ago. 1910s, 19 teens. 19 yeah. There you go. 19 something. <laughs> it was written at some point in the last hundred years. Well, yes. 100, 150. Howard's End was published in 1910. Exactly. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> Um, okay, so last week, last week we we discussed uh, a book, a book um, that was a riff on Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre, Jane Eyre. Nick, Good. it's been a whole week. Can you remember what the book we talked about last week was called? Yeah, it's written right in front of me here on this notepad. It says "Wide Sargasso Sea," which we didn't really cover why it was called Sargasso Sea at all. You know what? I don't know. That. You don't oh. know. It's not the in the book. The book doesn't say, and that's when she went swimming in the wide sarg. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah, do that. And yeah, and we didn't even cover it during Reese's Pieces, which is also strange. <laughs> Our infamous new segment. Where Maybe we, that's the origin of Reese's Pieces. Do we know for a fact that they don't harvest Reese's Pieces from the massive mat of sargassum? I, I think they might because you know why? Reese's Pieces is trash. It's all shell. There's not yep. enough peanut butter. It's garbage. Uh-huh. I'd rather have M&M's. A peanut butter M&M man. It's really remarkable. Peanut butter M&M's are delicious, but those are not Reese's Pieces. I think they know that. That's why they came out with the Reese's uh, peanut butter cup uh, M&M's because they're like, oh man, we just Uh, fucked up that Reese's Pieces so hard. Now we need to do... You're revolution... Are you saying there is that Reese's Pieces are separate from the Reese's peanut butter cup M&M? Yeah, different things. Totally different things. Nick's a candy expert. Lidhead's... Nick doesn't have a lot of areas of expertise on this show, but I have been to his house. He has a candy cabinet in his house. Welcome to Candy Cabinet, a new segment (laughs) with Nick. 
Nick, I feel like you should have a tour, like maybe for our first video. Yeah, Reese's pieces should be burned, all of them, and not in a good way. Yeah. Whatever that would mean. Welcome, lit heads, to you don't know lit a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast. Where strongly every week podcast. we would normally pick uh, a theme and two books, but we haven't done that because we had uh, a wonderful lit head uh, uh, write in uh, Danae. Hey, hey, hey! It's Danae. <laughs> Part two. <laughs> Didn't have to. <laughs> you could have let that die. Hey, hey, hey! It's, it's Danae. It's time to say here's part two. Got a book. Let's. <laughs> Nick just read her email Danae, verbatim, guys. No, I did. Well, that was, yeah, end, qu- end quote. Um, and At so gmail.com. We did. We liked uh, the theme that she wrote in so much that we decided to do two separate episodes about it. Also, is just busy with the holidays, so we split it into two weeks, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, this week we're doing kind of something similar to last week, but with totally different books. Um, and... Uh, uh, so we don't really have any rules, but I'm sure Ian will do some bullshit shadow rules or something. I just want to point out the, the just like to point rules. some shadow rules out. <laughs> so to understand these shadow rules, you need 15 minutes of back. <laughs> In 19... 19- <laughs> to understand these shadow the rules, you're going to need a 400 level history class. <laughs> uh, no, the only shadow rule I have for you this oh, week, good. folks, only one. Mm-hmm. Do not bequeath valuable property Okay, anyway, uh, Joe, what book did you bring today? Yeah, so I brought a book called On Beauty, which is a really pretty name for a book. It has beauty. It it also sounds like it's going to be a very serious book about philosophy. It does. It sounds like an essay. Like, it sounds like something you would read in the philosophy class. Right. Joe, you have, um, you've brought a book in the past called On Writing by Stephen King. Yes. Um, now, in that book, you really understand how to write, how mm-hmm. to edit yourself, how right. the process works. Nick, I'm way ahead of you. I am actually, like, on a scale of one to ten, I used to be like a four, right? Oh, I am okay. now like a solid seven. This book wow. is like 50% beauty tips. I My eyelashes, eyelashes are longer. My yeah. hair is fuller my eyes pop for some reason now um mm. it, it just like like they they shine that like shit I'm falling in love with a girl mm-hmm. yeah so yes yeah, so, so yeah if you want to be uh grow in three points of beauty you should read on beauty on by beauty James. by Zane i Smith. read this a long time ago and i don't remember i remember any of these beauty tips well, is like it, you does it say anything closer. about like contouring yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right joe ian wants to make his nose disappear give us the top 10 list starting with contouring please <laughs> Right. Number one, contours. Number two, genetics. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Number three. Nick, in my book, On Beauty by Zadie Smith, there yep. are two families. Okay. And these families do not get along with each other. Oh, my God. That's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, two so, houses, both like indignity <laughs> in Vera Verona, where we really are. Okay, so Ian. it's like Romeo and Juliet, but instead of being like lords in this Italian town, they are professors at elite colleges, or at least the patriarchs of the families are professors at elite colleges. Okay, so the premise is rewrites. So mm-hmm. are you saying that this is a rewrite of Romeo and Juliet? No, I'm not saying that. Oh. Uh, it, this is a this is a homage to an earlier book called Howard's End, written by E.M. Forrester. But so far, we you haven't really that, touched on any of you? that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't listening. <laughs> well, there you go, Nick. It's okay. Honesty I teach is freshmen. the best. I'm used to this policy. 
Um, so Nick, in On Beauty, there's two families. They don't get along with each other. Um, in fact, it's mostly the patriarchs that don't get along. On one hand, you have the Belzy family. The Belzy family is almost like the liberal dream. Um, they are from England initially. Um, he is a kind of Englishman who was born in lower class, but who rose up to be a college professor at essentially Harvard. It's not called Harvard, but it's Harvard in the book, right? Like a, a East Coast, <laughs> an East Coast, very high achieving college. Yeah. Um, he was married to a black woman. He, they have three mixed children together. The, his wife is super impressive in her own way. She is not an academic. She's not a professional. She has raised the children and their kids are really cool and really impressive. And from the outside looking in, you look at the Belzies and you're like, wow, that is the liberal dream. Right. Like this is what we hope we're going towards. And, and this isn't me just saying that this is like literally words from the book. Right. Like um, gotcha. Professor Belsey, okay. Howard Belsey is like he is a, he, he espouses a liberal a liberal agenda. No, he but he is he believes in like the liberal idea, like you can educate your way out of poverty, like education is this a, a equalizing force in the world. And in a lot of ways, like he has shown the harmony that can come from this dream. On the other hand, the other family, right, are the Kippses, which is a good name. And the Kipps, um, Montague Kipps, so you kind of made a nod to Whoa. Romeo and Juliet. Wait, Pretty what? good. Yeah, so the guy's name is Montague Kipps, right? The, the patriarch of their family. Are you sure it's riffing on the book you think it is? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, I'm pretty sure... Well, actually, no, I can think of a couple more connections between this and Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Folks, you're hearing it live. Yeah, live surprise. on air, Joe is <laughs> done fucked up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, Montague Kipps is uh, actually on paper, like seems kind of similar to Howard Kipps. I mean, Howard is a, a white man, uh, Montague is a black man, but they both like grew up out and they both grew up poor. They both rode their intellect to become um professors of some renowned at this college. Montague Kipps is a professor at Oxford. Howard is a professor at, you know, fake Harvard. Um, and, but the difference is, is that Montague Kipps thinks that this liberalization and things like affirmative action are preposterous. And he is vocally outspoken against them. I guess that's redundant. He is outspoken against these things. He gives lectures on them. He writes articles about them. And Montague Kipps and his family have been invited to Howard's University to essentially serve a, a year as a guest lecturer. So the Kippses and the Howards, these two families, are increasingly spiraling toward each other. Is Kipses spelled with a K or a C? Okay, K-I-P-P-S. Because mm, the, yeah, Cap, Cap, Caps, the Capses. The Capses. His name would be Montague Capulet. Yeah. Um, okay, and so <laughs> what a bit too on the nose. Yeah, too on the nose. Instead of a big party, we're going to go to school for a year. All right, so... Um, which let's be honest, school is a big party, isn't it? Education. Anyway. Okay. Um, thank you, Ian. Okay. So Joe, um, mm -hmm. we have two feuding families, um, and they're, they're at Harvard. Yep. So this book follows, like, I guess like the, the beginning and the end of this book 
it pretty much follows what happens in the year that Montague Kipps and his family are staying at this university, right? As a guest lecturer at this university. The compelling thing about it, or one of the interesting things about it, is we have these two families that on the surface, I mean, maybe have things uh, in common, but are ideologically extremely different from one another. And the events of this book keep bringing them like it's almost like they're like going around in a circle this entire book and with every pass they just come a little bit closer to each other a little bit closer and a little more intertwined with each other so the families mirror each other they like Howard and Montague both have wives um they both have children right the children know each other some of them are like are students at this university and are in classes together the children interact with each other's parents in these classes, etc. Like this book is essentially these two families spiraling closer and closer together in this college town. Which takes a lot of like trust. A lot of pages. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, sorry. yeah. Like because the story like this that begins with sort of like the, your first pass is going to necessarily like they're going to come in contact and then they're going to kind of spin farther away from each other for a while. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, think absolutely. especially with a long, a long book like this, there is a, a temptation. I remember when I read On Beauty, and the mm-hmm. same thing goes for the the source novel, Howard's End. There's a temptation early on to say, what? What is going on here? Yes. So, Ian, I think it's cool that you mentioned that because this is a book. I love this suggestion as a book because it's one of the reasons I love doing this show with you guys. This is a book that I never would have picked up for myself in a million billion years yeah. for, for a variety of reasons, right? For a because variety you're of reasons. A racist. Because I'm a racist and a sexist and, and all those things. But so I never would have picked this up. And when I was reading this book this week, I had this experience that I've had with a couple other books on this podcast where early on in the in the process, I was really bouncing off of it. Like in the early chapters, I really found it a grind. I had a hard time keeping track of who these characters were, who these families were, what the conflict was, etc. And then I had this magic thing that's happened to me a few times. And this happened to me over the years with a bunch of books, but it has happened to me a few times on this show. One day, it was early summer break, and we had one of these days in Wisconsin where it just rained all day long. Like it was a, it was a summer rainy day. My wife was working. I'm on summer break. I had nothing to do. And I sat down with this book and there was something about that day, that atmosphere, the part I was in the book, this book just exploded for me. Like it was like all of a sudden I was into it. I hit the ground running. I was like willing to, I think I was reading a little more patiently. I was reading with, I was reading where I didn't have something to get to. I had nothing to do that day, but read. And I went from bouncing off, bouncing off, bouncing off this book to falling in love with this book and really, really digging it. Um, but okay. So that's the premise. It's, uh, two families or something. Uh, what is the, what is the story about? What is the story? Well, that would be an incredibly challenging question for me to answer. Um, the story is, I mean, the story is a series of events that happen between these two families, right? So, like, it's the dad meeting. It's it's the dad of the of the um. It's the dad of the Belzies meeting the daughter of the Kips when she enrolls in one of his classes, right? It is it is um Monty Kips trying to give a lecture on campus, I'm right? Sorry. Montague Kips. 
Monty, they call him for short. Okay. Okay. Yep. It's Monty Kipps trying to give a lecture on campus that's like super critical of a lot of the policies that the campus champions, right? Mm, um, the name of the dick. lecture is, yep, the name of the lecture is taking the liberal out of liberal arts. Um, and Howard Kipps trying to stop it and all of the bureaucracy at the university that like you would go about to Oof. try to stop that thing. Damn, it sounds like there's some serious overt messaging going on right now. Okay. In this, book. <laughs> this is this is something that I loved about this book because there is there's almost nothing in this book where you go oh, dang, that was like a knockdown drag out fight or, oh, dang, that was a high tension scene or a lot happened in that scene. The tension in this book happens in really like mundane places. So, for example, like early on in this book, there's an anniversary party. Um, it is Howard and his wife's Kiki. It is Howard and Kiki's 30th anniversary party. And they invite a bunch of people from the college. They invite members of their department. They invite the president of the college. They invite some of their grad students that he works with, et cetera, et cetera. And that doesn't sound like that interesting, especially when I tell you like this party is gets like three chapters in this book. Like this party is like a chunk of this book, which sounds crazy. But one of the things that I thought was cool and magic and was just so like props to Zadie Smith is the tension in this party is genuinely riveting. So for example, this party is happening when the Kipses have just moved into town and one of their sons has met one of the Kipses out in town just kind of randomly, right? Um, and he comes home. He doesn't know who they are. He gets in actually kind of a confrontation with him. He comes home and he's like, mom, I met this old black lady on a porch and, and like we kind of got into a little fight. And the mom's like, wait a minute you met a black person in this town that you're not related to? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, what the heck is this? And she's like, no, 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 no. That's the Kipses. They know we're here. Did you tell them we were having a party? And he's like, well, yeah, I was coming home with the ice. And she's like, we have to invite them. Like they know we're here. They know we're having a party. We have to invite them, even though it's tonight. So they extend this impromptu invitation to the Kipses. And the whole time, by the way, they don't want the Kipses to come to this party. Of course, and, of course. and the whole time as people are arriving at this party and they're going around making small talk and the doorbell rings, as it happens many times at a party, as a reader, you're like, oh, dang, that's going to be the Kipses. But it's not the Kipses. It's another member of the English department. And then the doorbell rings. and You're like, this is definitely the Kipses. But it's not the Kipses. It's just whatever. And like, that sounds crazy to explain. But when you read this, it's... I'm I'm not going to BS you and say it's like edge of your seat thrilling, but it is genuinely super engaging. Engrossing. It, it's engrossing. And there's yeah. moments of tension like that all over, right? Like, like there is a point there's where- There's more um, parties? Well, no, there's, well, only as a metaphor. Like at one point, <laughs> well, this one is actually kind of a party. Um, Howard, Howard is invited to like the sorority mixer. It's tradition on campus to like invite a professor to like dinner at your social club. He gets invited by a girl, um, like what a student that he teaches. He goes to it and there's a glee club singing there and he hates glee clubs. And like that scene is 
genuinely riveting as this glee club is circling his table like a shark circling hey, a joe, boat in jaws yeah uh, go ahead joe this book sounds really lame what uh, <laughs> uh let, me, let me put it in profoundly perspective okay. yep that'd be um, great okay. so joe off off mike you and i were talking about um cider house rules yeah cider house rules and, and i wonder i wonder if if this might be a way to kind of characterize on beauty that the the phrase would be like multi-generational epic. Yeah. And and as I recall, on beauty doesn't like span, you know, 70 years of, mm-hmm. of a family, but but this idea of like kind of families, Hatfields and McCoys, mm-hmm. Romeo and Ju- Juliet, you know, yeah. Cap Capulets and Montagues, that, that whole idea of of the families that are at odds, there's something about that. There's something yeah. sort of engrossing is a good word. Yeah. And when you put that in a very specific sort of social setting, mm-hmm. the weird, goofy world of academia, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, I think for a certain kind of reader, this might be catnip. I think this is where Howard's end comes in. This is a, an homage. Howard's End, which was this 19th century style, 19th century style novel written by E.M. Forrester. And Zadie Smith, um, she talks about reading E.M. Forrester's novel for the first time and it being the first time that she read something when she realized the power a novel had, right? Like she realized how magical a novel could be. She realized how engrossing a novel could be. And E.M. Forrester's novel, Howard's End, is very much like the Cider House Rules. John Irving says, I don't write novels for the 20th century. I write 19th century novels. This book feels like a 19th century novel. It's not a multi-generational epic, but it's a book for a rainy day, right? Like it's a book that you want to sit with for a while. Early on in this process, I was like, okay, this book is riffing on Howard's End. I got to figure out how it's riffing on Howard's End. I got to figure out what Howard's End in, how it's riffing about on it, etc. I read this interview with Zadie Smith, and it was an interview in promotion of this book. And the writer and the interviewer asked her this specifically. They said, hey, you said this is your homage to Howard's End. Tell us about that. And she says in the interview, quote, I actually think the points in the book where On Beauty meets Howard's End are the least interesting parts of the book for me. It was mostly a way for me to practice writing inside of a certain genre. So much of my writing has been characterized as formless or modern or experimental. I wanted to hold myself to the rigidity of a 19th century novel. So for me, it was scaffolding. But in the end, the books only meet properly at two or three points. I suppose I still think of myself as an apprentice, and this was one end of the uh, end of uh, my apprenticeship, learning to write an English novel. That's really interesting. I think that makes total sense. Some of what I did this week was uh, like look at what critics had said, and and this is one of the points that people make. Yes, they do touch. You know, very everyone likes to to call out that first line. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah. the Howard's End, the Forrester novel begins with. Uh, suppose we should begin with this, and so does so does Smith. But I think the good criticism of this book, and I think maybe what she's suggesting is that, yeah, there's connections, but this is not really the sort of symbiotic relationship that we saw last week, where um, White Sargasso Sea enriches Jane Eyre and vice versa. This really feels like Howard's End is is a classic, and I'm not going to go into it. It's it, it's it's a classic novel, very sort of English. 
upper middle class people doing English upper middle class things. There's a country house and things. It's very, very similar in plot actually in some ways to on beauty, Mm -hmm. but she's not like, she's not interested in like, Oh, what if we do the hidden history of the, the person who's the murderer. Like she doesn't do that. It's very, it seems like very much like this is, um, the New York times called this a launching pad. She wanted to do her things. Mm-hmm. And and so she kind of reinvents it and makes the story her own and, and um um starts from Howard's end, but the destination is far, far away. Yeah, and it just reminds me of you know, like Ian, we do this all the time as teachers. Like when you want to teach students to do something, you create a model for them, right? So if you want your students to write a literary analysis essay, one of the most effective ways to teach them to do that is to sh- like literally write Imitation. one with them. Yeah. You, you show them a good one. You show them how you would go about writing one. And all of a sudden, like they have a model which to build on. I think Zadie Smith's interview, she's saying like, yeah, Howard's End is my model. Like it's it's the genre that I want to write in. There's like pl- the plots echo each other, but like ultimately like this is its own thing. I built my book on top of the model of Howard's End. So Nick, I've got nothing else to say about this book. I loved the tension in this book. I loved how like the tension came from from mundane things. Um, I loved the interaction between the two families. Like the women in this book are totally badass in a super feminine way. Um, it's written so well, which is so hard to convey here. I absolutely love this book. I'm so happy I read it and I appreciate the recommendation. Thank you, Danae. Litheads, if you want to be as powerful as Danae is. Um, <laughs> the two she, episodes in her honor. We're like puppets. We dance. <laughs> we dance as you tell us to. Um, head on over to our website, you don't know litpodcast.com. We couldn't get the .gov. Sorry about that. <laughs> you can submit a book or a theme there. Uh, sometimes folks submit um, both. They submit a theme and then a couple of books that match. You can also click on the button that says get a sticker. And no, that will not cause your internet to instantly print out a sticker for you. But I will personally send you a handwritten note that says, wow, my own Wilson <laughs> wow. voice. And also as many stickers as you want. Um, you can follow us on social media at You Don't Know Lit. You can uh, like us and review us on Apple podcasts and Spotify and Google podcasts and the rest. You can also most importantly tell a bookish friend. I have a couple of books. For, I have a couple of quotes from On Beauty, but actually the quote I want to read here is from this is highly Nick. I'm, I might have to ask permission of the court here to do this. Um, the quote I want to read is actually from Ian's author last week. And it's something that she wrote about, um, actually about books about the, and I thought it echoed so closely the experience that I had reading on beauty this week. This is a quote about reading and she writes, it was one of those long romantic novels, 650 pages of small print translated from French or German or Hungarian or something, because a few of the English ones have the exact feeling that I mean. And you read one page of it, or even one phrase of it, and then you gobble up all the rest and go about in a dream for weeks afterwards, for months afterwards, perhaps all of your life, who knows, surrounded by those 650 pages. The houses, the streets, the snow, the river, the roses, the girls, the sun, the ladies' dresses, the gentlemen's voices, the old, wicked, hard-hearted women, and the old, sad women, the waltz music, everything. What is not there you put in afterwards, for it's alive, this book. 
and it grows in your head. The house I was living in when I read that book, you think, or this color, reminds me of that book.